0: Hope y'all are doing well. We are reading through the Bible together as a church, and as we're reading through the Bible together, um, each month we have four different kind of readings in the Bible that, we're, that we uh, read. And as we're doing that, um, we pick one of those, and we study that book for the month. And so this particular month, we're studying Proverbs. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Proverbs. We're actually going to be uh, starting in chapter 24, but we'll eventually go actually over to, verse, to chapter 3 um, if you know anything about Proverbs, uh, I've been kind of doing some introduction to it each, each week as we're, as we're looking at it. But basically, the, the general outline is chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Ch- uh, Proverbs are kind of the introduction. And it's the, uh, the writer, Solomon, trying to lure you in to saying, oh, I really want to pursue wisdom. And then as you've read chapters 1 through 9, which is really the entire introduction of, of Proverbs... 10 through 31 is all the unfolding wisdom of Solomon and some other sages um, where they tell you how to pursue wisdom and tell you what wisdom looks like. So in, uh, 20, chapter 10 through 31 is kind of the unfolding of that wisdom. So what we're going to do today, um, our, our reading for the week started in verse 24 and kind of went up into 26, and as I was reading, I saw in, in verse 24 this, this illustrious description of wisdom and just how beneficial wisdom can be in our life. And so if you look with me, look at Proverbs 24, you have a Bible, going to open up to Proverbs 24. If you don't have a Bible, just look underneath you, there's these blue and white ones, just keep that, it's yours, you can have it. Um, if you already have one at home and you want it, then just take that one and give it away to somebody that you know needs a Bible. <clears throat> but in Proverbs 24, in our kind of our weekly reading as we looked at 24 through 26, The writer is describing just how amazing wisdom is. And he says in chapter 24, starting at verse 3, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war. An abundance of counselors, a lot of people around you that are, are quite intelligent, there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool, and in the gate he not open his mouth and if you flip over to verse 14 you can see another know that wisdom is such is such to your soul if you find it there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off and so he's writing to us saying wisdom is quite amazing you need to make sure that you're pursuing it because it it gives you such amazing things like a future etc and so what I thought I would do as we looked at that I thought it would be good for us then as we looked at today's sermon to to have if you will like a uh, a sermon designed to pull you in, to let you see what are the benefits of pursuing wisdom, and hopefully get you to sign on on the dotted line to say, yes, I want to pursue wisdom. So in order to do that, we're going to actually go over to Proverbs 3, because in, as I said, Proverbs 1 through 9 is kind of the introduction. And in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, is some of the best words that Solomon uses where he He allures you and brings you in and tries to convince you that you need to live a life that is going to pursue wisdom as much as you can. My voice is kind of giving out. I had to preach this weekend. It's not that I was yelling at the Gamecocks for their awful play yesterday. I didn't even watch the game. I was preaching and people were getting saved as the Gamecocks were getting destroyed last night. So I did not watch the game and I had something better going on. So I'm still mad about it, but I don't care. Um, So anyway. Chapter three, that didn't make sense, but we're, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter three today. And as we're looking at Proverbs chapter three, the whole, the whole goal as we're looking at three is that you would be brought in and you would be um, convinced that you need to pursue wisdom and pursue the benefits of wisdom. So uh, let me pray and then we'll start at chapter three. We're going to start at verse 13, um, but let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that your word never returns void. We, we know that um, as we look at the Proverbs, they're quite different than most other <clears throat> uh, books. We know that it's not story like it is in the Gospels or even Acts of, of Christ and, and, and even the church. It's not letters like Paul where he lays out arguments, uh, even narrative like in the Old Testament where we just kind of see the people of Israel, but instead it's wisdom literature. And so this genre uh, is, is a different genre comparative to most, but still. These are your words written to us, and they have great benefit for us. And so I pray, God, that you would help me um, as a communicator teach in such a way that's understandable, that points to Christ ultimately, not just points to uh, the concept of wisdom, but instead as something that God has created, and therefore that we point to Christ. I I know, God, and I say this all the time, that I'm absolutely unable to do anything without you, and so would you come now and speak through me and to us all, because we are absolutely dependent upon your presence here in order to, uh, to hear these words and have the Spirit teach us as you've promised. We love you, Lord, and I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So the, the general outline of what we're going to do in uh, Proverbs, starting at 3, verse 13, uh, there's going to be three reasons. Th- as I said, the goal of what we're trying to do is to help you know that you should pursue wisdom and pursue its benefits. So in the first kind of section in 3.13 and following, I'm going to show you three reasons of why you should pursue wisdom. After that, I'm going to let you see kind of three illustrations of what a life of wisdom looks like. And then after that, um, we'll, we'll conclude. So if you look at verse 13 with me, and as I said, um, in the very beginning, chapters one through nine are the introduction to the good stuff, if you will in solomon 's mind, which is chapter ten through thirty one of understanding wisdom so in, in chapter thirteen he 's talking about you can see if you have the ESV it says a little subtitle there which is not divinely inspired. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom that 's not actually not part of the original, but you know they 're just wanting us to help us understand kind of what 's going on. but in verse thirteen, it says this: "Blessed is the one." who finds wisdom. We're looking at three reasons of why we should pursue wisdom. Here we go. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her. So we've switched to this this pronoun her. And so what they're doing is they're personifying wisdom. They're saying wisdom is a she. And so Solomon is going to start speaking of wisdom like she's a woman. And, and he says, For the gain from her for wisdom is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, pleasantness, and all her paths are peace paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So the first reason that we can see in this particular text that we should pursue after wisdom is that wisdom will always enrich your life. Verses 3 through 18 show us that wisdom will always, the first reason is wisdom will always enrich your life. It's gonna come, there it is, see, I told you. Wisdom will always enrich your life. And we can see here, um, well, first we should say, um, in verse 13, it says, blessed is the one. So the Hebrew word there for the one is literally Adam, man. So blessed is mankind. Blessed is all mankind who finds wisdom. So the invitation to wisdom is to everyone. Anyone and everyone can get in on this. This is for all of mankind, open and available to everyone. So non-Christians and Christians can pursue wisdom. They can find wisdom. This is, this is what's known as common grace. So there's, there's, there's kind of theologically two, two means of grace that God uses. Salvific grace, in other words, grace that saves. This is Jesus dying on the cross for us, this is grace unmerited. We didn't deserve it, we were wretched sinners, we were deserved to go to hell because of our chosen sin And we would had not Christ died, but he came, he gave his life on the cross and all, he lived the perfect life we couldn't live and all of that righteousness and that perfect life, if we trust in him and repent of our sin and ask for forgiveness, all of that righteousness can there be imputed into us and we can be forgiven of all our sin and live with him forever and all of the punishment and all the sin that we deserved was put on him at the cross. The great exchange happens and this is salvific grace. This is grace that is only... Made to save. But there's another kind of grace that God uses. Common grace. Salvific grace goes to Christians. And anybody that would become a Christian. But non-Christians and Christians alike get to partake in this common grace. Like air. And food. And marriage. And steak. And these kinds of things that are just common grace to everybody. We all get to partake on. And here's the other one. And wisdom. There's, a, there's an open invitation to all Adam, all mankind, that you can come in and get, on this, get in on this wisdom. And what are some of the things that it does? What are some of the enriching ways of your life? You can see in verse 13 and in verse 18, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the end of 18, those who hold fast to her wisdom, hold fast to her are called blessed. So if you have um, a pursuit of wisdom and you find her, your life will be blessed. you also see in verse 16, long life is in her right hand, so you'll have long life. It also says that you'll have pleasantness in verse 17. It also says, also says in verse 17 that you'll have paths of peace. So in a general perspective, your life will have peace in it. It also says in verse 18 um, that there is a, she, she is a tree of life, so life is given to you. Now, we need to pause and we need to make sure we understand what we're saying here. The Proverbs are written to everyone in a general sense. So all the wisdom that's given to you in 10 10 through 31, this is what a good spouse looks like, this is how you should talk, this is how you should be humble, all these kind of pieces of advice over and over. They're general principles of life. So if you, mankind, would live these certain ways, make these certain decisions, then in a general sense, your life will generally go this way there's always going to be exceptions. So those who pursue wisdom, we can all find people who don't seem to have a long life. We can all find people who, whose life is not pleasant, who seems to have uh, disruption instead of peace in their life. We, we know that. But in a general sense, if you follow by the principles laid out there in 10 through 31, more than likely your life will go according to the way it says. If you find a good spouse then you'll have a happy marriage. If you watch your tongue, then people won't think that you're a backbiter. If you're a humble person and not prideful, generally you are the kind of person that people want to be around. The, those kinds of, oh, that makes sense. If you're not lazy and a sluggard, you'll probably make money and you'll have money and you can buy food and you can eat and we all like eating. Like, these are the kind of general principles that he tells us in chapters 10-31 through 31 of life. Now, as he's inviting you in and alluring you into pursuing wisdom, he's saying, if you would have wisdom in your life, then these are the kinds of things. Your, your life will be enriched. I know that we can find exceptions to that. And, and Solomon would say, I know that we can find exceptions to that. But 90%, 85% of all people that do this, their life will be blessed. Long life. And the way that we would say, not blessed like we would say a, a Christ follower is blessed but in that, that we would say my life overall has been a good life. Now, certainly we would say a whole lot more about that in regard to Christ and that that is the only good life, etc. I know that. But that's not what in the wisdom literature he's trying to talk about. So, we're going to get to those things I promise. But right here in verses 13 through 18, the first reason that you should pursue wisdom is because it will enrich your life. You can even see in verse 14, there's a little bit uh, of an indictment on our own hearts where, where the writer Solomon says, for the gain from her wisdom is better than gain from silver and better than gold. We are prone to idolize money. And he's saying riches are not more important than wisdom. Temporary things like that are, are not things to pursue after Instead of wisdom, instead, you should pursue wisdom, because in the long run, wisdom is better to have than even money, and there 's even the promise that 's told us that long life is in her right hand so in general, if we go into these things, if we pursue after wisdom, those are the kinds of things you 'll see blessedness, long life, pleasantness, peace, tree of life um, as a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter four at verses five through seven he he stresses the absolute importance of why you should pursue wisdom in verse, starting in chapter four, verse five. He says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her who is wisdom and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. NIV literally translates that, though it costs you all you have, get insight. So we can see the, the stressing nature that Solomon is trying to push on you and saying, it might cost you all you have, but you need to pursue wisdom for your life. Now, I know that we're Christians and we, we would say, but what about Jesus? And we're, I promise you we're getting to that. But Solomon in the wisdom literature is wanting to stress to us the absolute need, though it costs all we have, we need to be the kind of people that pursue wisdom. And the reason why is, in verses 13 through 18, Solomon inspired by god writes to us it's going to enrich your life wisdom will enrich your life but here's the second reason and this is awesome verses 19 and 20 here's the second reason the lord by wisdom founded the earth the lord by wisdom founded the earth now i'm going to read the rest but we should already see there which is this in creation god's got this massive toolbox by which he can go to and he says One of the tools in the toolbox I'm going to use in order to create is wisdom. So the second reason that you should pursue wisdom is because God himself uses wisdom whenever he did creation. Not only does he use wisdom in creation, but he uses wisdom in sustaining the earth continually from beginning all the way until now. Look what it says. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, so creation was done because God chose to use wisdom as a tool in his toolbox to do it. By understanding, he created the heavens. The wisdom of God was employed as he created with the word of his mouth from Genesis 1. And then this is where it gets amazing. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the cloud drops I'm sorry, and the clouds drop down the dew. So what we have here, the writer's trying to say, he's indicating to us that both in creating everything, God used wisdom, and also in sustaining everything regarding earth, from creation all the way until this moment now, God is continually using in his toolbox the tool of wisdom. Literally, when he says, the clouds drop down the dew, the present day giving of rain continually is a continual sign for us to see that God is using wisdom. Because here's the deal, we like to eat (laughs) and we want to eat so that we can continually live. But we have to have ground that we can work, that rain can come to so that we can grow food so that we can eat it. We need that in order to have it. And he's saying not only in creation did he use wisdom to create everything, but continually he's using wisdom to make the the clouds drop down the dew continually. John Piper writes about this amazing phenomenon of God to use his wisdom to send us rain. And I want to read it to you. It's a small little excerpt, but it's amazing. And I'm not a science guy whatsoever, and I even understand this. So you all can follow this and just think about the amazing wisdom that God is using, sustaining the earth, not just in creation, but sustaining the earth by giving us rain so that we continually have food. Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells around there keep the family and the animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed by the crops month to month, water has to come to the fields from another source besides the well. But from where? Well, the sky. The sky. Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the field. Carried, how much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is two hundred and six million and some change gallons of water which is 1.6 billion pounds of water that's heavy <laughs> so how does it get up in the sky and stay there if it's so heavy remember we're thinking about the wisdom of god that he uses not just in creating but sustaining the earth so that we can eat this is where this is awesome that's heavy how does it get up in the sky well it gets up there by this thing called evaporation Really? That's a nice word. What is evaporation? It means that the water stops being water for a little while so that it can go up and not come down. I see. Well, then how does it come back down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water decides to become water again and start gathering around little dust particles between 0. 0.00001 and 0. 0.0001 centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Salt? Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill all the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh. So the sky picks up 1.6 billion pounds of water from the sea and takes the salt out of it and carries it 300 miles away and then dumps it on the farm? Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm all the wheat would be crushed. This is amazing. Still, the wisdom of God. So the sky dribbles, billions pounds of water, down in little drops. They have to be big enough to fall for one mile so that it won't evaporate, but they have to be small enough so that it doesn't crush the wheat stalks. That is amazing wisdom. And so God is saying, pursue wisdom Because God himself uses wisdom in everyday life. And if the Lord God would use wisdom to create and sustain, and he's telling us right here through Solomon in his word, pursue wisdom because even I use this tool called wisdom in my life, certainly we would be beckoned in to say yes. Third reason why we should use wisdom. Verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these Keep sound wisdom and discretion for they will be life for your soul now that 's an interesting phrasing that solomon 's using there life for your soul wisdom will be life for your soul so here 's the third reason it 's straight out of the text we 're going to read more than just that, but wisdom, if pursued, will be life for your soul now that 's an interesting phrasing to say I agree because Christ is actually life for our soul so what What does he say in there? Look at verse uh, 21. "My My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and there will be life for your soul, and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of wicked when it comes." So what we see here is we talk about life for your soul. We literally mean as you're living, it's not necessarily eternal life for your soul. It just means in your living, you're going to have a longevity of life. Your soul, we're all born with a soul, Christian or non, will have a longevity of life. So you can see it describes some things that it brings. In verse 23, it says that it'll bring security in your walk. You then you will walk on your way securely. You can see that in 24, the first part, and 25, the first part, it says that our life, it brings to us no fear in life. If you lie down, you'll not be afraid. In verse 25, do not be afraid of sudden terror. It also says that wisdom, if pursued in your life, on the whole of your life, that you'll actually have good sleep. Now, for those with infants, you're like, amen to that. (laughs) We have our six, right, and he's just a month old right now. You're like, please sleep. He slept three hours. I slept 3 hours in a row last night. It was awesome. You're like, you're thinking, "What? 3? I sleep 9." But right here it says, "When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Your sleep will be sweet." Now, it's not saying it's not actually talking about, you know, your your sleep as a college student where you sleep 12 hours a day or or whenever your mom and you sleep 12 minutes a day. It's actually talking about something different. It's it's talking about you know when you lie down and you put your head on the pillow and your mind's racing, and you're thinking about your day, and you've just messed up the day, your sleep's not sweet. And what he's saying is, wisdom if pursued, you're living the kind of life that when you lay your head down on the pillow, you're not thinking, my life is a train wreck. Because you're pursuing wisdom, and you're living by these principles that he's saying, each night when you, lie down your head, you lay your head on your pillow, your life's not a train wreck, and your sleep is sweet. Because i do not, fretting and anxious and thinking, man, I gotta get my life in order. Because I'm living by these principles of wisdom. So it gives, it proves to be life for your soul in that your life has good longevity. Another, it says, your, your life isn't put into ruin. It says in verse 25, second part, or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Your life is generally not in ruin. So you should pursue wisdom because, the third reason, it literally gives life to your soul. Now, there's a transition here in verse 26 that I think is quite striking. Um, all, <coughs> excuse me. So far, all along as we've been looking, he's just been talking about wisdom as this woman. Pursue wisdom, she does this. Pursue wisdom, she does that. And then all of a sudden, he shifts here and he takes it away from pursue wisdom, pursue wisdom, and he takes it to the grand, more grand kind of person and he says, for the Lord, actually. So your confidence Though you should pursue wisdom and should have it in your life because she, she does these things for you. But ultimately, your confidence is not in wisdom. Your confidence is in the Lord because he's the one that created this concept of wisdom for you to be able to pursue. So there's a shift here in the text for Solomon. And he says, for, and again, anytime you see a for, it's generally the beginning of an argument. Because all these things are true and if you pursue them for the Christian then for the Lord will be your confidence. Literally, that can be translated, for the Lord is with us and will keep your foot from being caught. So as we're looking at this, I know that I've said that all, even non-Christians can get on this and generally it works for them. But for those that are believers, when they're walking in this, for us, since the Lord is the one that creates all this, the Lord, Yahweh, when it's on all caps, that's Yahweh, that's, that's God, Yahweh, is saying that the Lord is our confidence. The Lord is with us. This is a striking shift in the text for the reader because this is the Christian book, not just the wisdom book that you find on someone's toilet, right? This is the Christian book. So it's always going to ultimately point, ultimately past wisdom itself to, to Jesus himself. And it's telling us to say, Solomon wants you to not just pursue wisdom as a concept, but instead the Lord, who is your confidence and by your side. Ray Ortland says it this way. We're not trusting wisdom in and of itself, as an impersonal cosmic force, we're trusting the living Christ to stay moment by moment because he has promised that I will be at your side. I will be your confidence. I will be with you. Therefore, ultimately, as Christians, we remember that Jesus is our Savior, not the concept of wisdom, and we depend on him. So hopefully, as we've seen this, these three different reasons of why you should pursue wisdom, hopefully i have convinced you Okay, I want to pursue wisdom. I've seen that it enriches my life. God himself uses wisdom and it, and it also for me will improve or give life to my soul. So yes, I want to pursue, pursue wisdom. What I want to do here is let you have kind of a uh, peel back the, the, the layer, if you will, and let you see this is what a picture of wisdom lived out in one's life. And we're just going to go with the text here. Solomon gives in this particular text three kinds of examples of what wisdom looks like in one's life. Now, if we look at the previous two sermons, you could pull out some more. We talked about in the first sermon that wisdom looks like smart speech. You guard your tongue. You're the kind of person that fears the Lord, therefore you, you, have, you have wisdom in the way that you speak. As a matter of fact, of all the different topics that the Proverbs cover, the tongue is more. There's over 90 Proverbs regarding speech. So there's more things in the Proverbs about the way we speak to one another than anything else. So... A picture of the way wisdom looks out is you're wise with your tongue, you're wise with your speech, but also a second one is that you're humble. We talked about that last week. You're not proud, but instead you're humble because the exemplar for us, Christ in Philippians 2, lived the perfect life of humility, therefore God has exalted him above every name, that it, at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so for us, a picture of what wisdom looks, at, looks like is also humility. But there's three here that I want you to see. And these are, uh, these are interesting. They're, they're, they're certainly interesting. Verse 27 through 28. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due. That's an interesting way to phrase it, right? With whom it is due. Someone needs something that's good from you and it's due to them. Then it says, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you. So in this moment of need of your neighbor, when they have something and they have a need, wisdom, a character, a picture of wisdom lived out means this. Here's the first one. You will give to your needy neighbor. You will help your needy neighbors. People around you, and and I don't mean needy like in the notes. you're so needy. I don't mean, mean that. Like literally have a need, you know. We're not talking like therapy, right. We're saying they literally have a need and... You have the means to help them, and you should. I know that we cannot give away everything we have, that we can't help everyone in our life, but we do have the power to do something, and wisdom teaches us, give it away and help them. I want you to notice just how striking or radical verse 27 is. I kind of pointed it out for a second. I want you to notice how striking or how radical God is saying that withholding help from people is. Look what he says, verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. You'll notice that word do has a little two beside it if you're in the ESV, which means look at your footnote, because this could be translated a second way. And if you look at your footnote, it says, do not withhold good from its owner. It's a second way. That means I have the means by which that could help you. It's in my possession. And if you ask someone, people would say, it's yours, FUD. But the way the Bible's describing is, if I have the means to help you and, it, in, and it's in my possession, the Bible's already calling it that you're the owner. You're the owner of the things that I have that can help you, even though I have it. And if we were to go to a court of law, they would say, FUD, it's yours. That's the striking, radical nature by which God's trying to help you see. Wisdom lived out practically says, when neighbors have needs, you don't withhold it, but you give it to them because they're the owner of the thing that you have, but, and you should give it to them. I would just say this, withholding it from them brushes up to Exodus twenty fifteen, thou shalt not steal. It certainly, the way this text is written, brushes up to, if you withhold it, you're literally stealing it from them because it's saying that they're the owner in this text. Ray Ortland says it this way, withheld love is a life-depleting sin. Uh, we could talk about it, though. I, I would, instead of pointing to sin and say, don't withhold or you're a sinner, I think maybe this is the best way to do it. Look at Christ, who withheld no good thing from us. He is who we, we model. He is who we live. He is our savior. Christ withheld no good thing from us. So much so he was willing to go to the cross. So therefore, wisdom lived out when there are people in need. We are Christ-like and we withhold no good thing from them. We cannot do everything, but there are lots of good things that we can do. And I'm not saying like give them your leftovers that you wanted to give to Goodwill anyway that you didn't want. Don't give them the Vienna sausages out of the pantry that you weren't going to eat anyway, right? (laughs) When people come to to your pantry, you're like look for all the stuff you don't want and you they doing a canned food drive. Oh, we're never gonna eat these things. Like, in other words, if there's people that you know that have something, don't tell them, come tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you have it right now. Withhold no good thing from your neighbor. That's the first picture of wisdom lived out. The second picture of wisdom lived out, and it was hard to figure out how to say this. It's in 29 and 30, and I'm not sure that hopefully anybody here is planning evil against your neighbors, but in t- 29 and 30 says, do not plan evil against your neighbors, uh, those people that dwell trustingly beside you do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done no harm to you. I'm not sure that anybody here is necessarily doing that. So I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I phrase this. And I, I just, maybe this is the way wisdom lived out. And a picture of wisdom lived out, the way that you're living out beside them is this, is number two. You, I don't know how to phrase it any other way. You won't be a shady schemer. Shady is just kind of a, uh, a, you seem dishonest to me. I don't know, but you just seem kind of dishonest. You're, you're a little shady, you know? And so um, you're not planning evil against your neighbor. Maybe, maybe this is maybe the best way to say it is this. Um, I, I have seen this in in my own life, not me. <laughs> my neighbors across the street, I've seen them get into a tiff literally I was walking out of my house one day going to a wedding and they're both standing in their perspective yards screaming at each other at the top of their lungs and I thought you know they're just like hey what's going on it's and I listen a little bit longer and they're like really like lighting each other up you know with words that my kids aren't allowed to hear kind of stuff and so like just get in the car just get out of here just back away just get out of here like and I'm like my neighborhoods are yelling just another day in my neighborhood so anyway like um texting Christy so anyway like it's it's crazy right um then, one of them's plotting against the other one. When one of them's husband's out of town, they're, they're doing these shady schemes. Within a month, for sale signs in the yard. They're gone. So, I don't know if that's you. Hopefully, and I'm thinking, I don't think anybody at Remedy does this kind of thing. So, l- let me make it maybe a little more practical. Don't be, maybe shady isn't the right word, but let's just say it this way. Um, don't be the, be, we'll say it positively. Be the kind of person that you live, that when you, people live by you or live with you, spouses or roommate with you or the suite mates with you or even in your cubicles at work or whatever your workstation looks like that work by you, you're the kind of person that isn't plotting against them to advance ahead of them or make them look silly or make them look ridiculous with the other people around. But instead, you're the kind of person that lifts them up. You're the kind of person that They just don't think, you know, I just don't know about that person. I always feel like I get this uneasy edge about them. But instead, it's wisdom teaches me the way that I live around someone. A picture of wisdom lived out is when people are around me, I'm doing my best not to go behind their backs and get their job or get their stuff or get their whatever, but they're getting getting encouraged and lifted up around me. Here's the last one Um, in 31 and 32. And again, I don't know that this is y'all, but uh, I don't think it is. Do not envy a man of violence. I don't know of any of you that are violent. Do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. So, the third thing I could say, uh, the third picture of living out wisdom is um, you know, you know that being violent or devious is not in- enviable. As we were looking over in chapter 24 um, of this week's reading, The first two verses in chapter 24 says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. So people that devise violence, the Bible actually says they're evil. And so we wouldn't be envious of a violent man because the Bible actually says that they're they're evil. We would never be envious of evil people. So wisdom lived out um, is that we don't spend our time Devising or being around these types of people, I don't know that you are that, um, but we don't. Wisdom lived out shows that we don't spend our time with those kinds of people because it's not enviable. But it does say right afterwards. Uh, maybe the best way to, to to look at it, the end of thirty two. But the upright are in his confidence. Again, that. In his confidence is the same phrasing as we saw in verse 26. The Lord will be your confidence, which can be translated, the Lord is with us. The Lord is by my side. So here, the upright are in his confidence. There, that means the upright have the Lord with them. The upright have the Lord by their side. So a third picture of the way that it's of the way you live out this is that you have the Lord by your side, so you're not, because of wisdom, investing in these kinds of wrong-headed, troublesome-causing things and fights in people's life. But instead, you're living an upright life because you have the Lord with you. Now, hopefully, as we've gone through and I've shown you three reasons of why you should pursue wisdom, if not the rain thing, I mean, that's a pretty good one, right? But of all the other ones, you're thinking, okay, You've convinced me, Fud. I want to pursue wisdom. And we saw the pictures of the way we should live out, and you're saying, I, I do want those things in my life. I do want to be a more giving person. I do want to have the Lord by my side. I do want to lift up people in my life. I do want to be the kind of person that speaks and is a humble person. I do want those things. So, Fud, you've convinced me. How then? How do I? How do I become a person of wisdom? How do I pursue wisdom? I'm glad you asked, and it's very simple. Read the Proverbs. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of chapters 1 through 9, is for you to be convinced. And God has said, and here it is. Read chapters 10 through 31, and even verse chapters 1 through 9. But read chapters 10 through 31 all the time. All the time. This is the Lord, the, the only way the Lord has devised that you would be able to pursue wisdom. Since you've, I think, all been convinced that you want wisdom. The only way for you to find it is not live life and let things happen and see what happens and become a wise person. No. We don't live and learn, we learn and live. That's what the proverb beckons you to do. Come to the text. Read Proverbs 10 through 31 over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And that's how you gain wisdom. And then you'll have a life that's pursuing wisdom in a life filled with wisdom and a life that has pictures of wisdom. All right, so here we are. And in this particular text, I think all of you, if you've been at Remedy for any time right now so far, you should be thinking this. If you've been at Remedy any time, I expect for you to be thinking this. What is wrong with FUD? That's what I want you to be thinking right now. What is wrong with FUD? What is up with this moralistic self help sermon that he just preached to me about the concept of wisdom? What is wrong with him? And you should be saying, where's the gospel, Fud?" And I'm saying, thank you. That's exactly right. This is what you should be thinking. Well, I'm glad you asked because here's the deal. Chapter 3, which we've been studying, has all kinds of gospeliciousness in it. And you're going to see it in verses 1 through 6. So that means all the stuff that we just saw in 3 and following about wisdom pursuing wisdom and the pictures of wisdom all found their foundation are all predicated on what we read in verses one through six which is the gospel and then all these things are true because of the everything finds its foundation in the gospel so what i want you to do and thank you thank you you for wanting gospel i want you to see the gospel and proverbs chapter 3 Of all places, Proverbs, look at this. My son, now verses one and two is still just inviting you in, that hearing these Proverbs adds years to your life. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart, so we're already talking about heart now. We're not talking about outward obedience, we're we're getting down to the heart. Let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life and peace that will be added to you. So there's the intro, and then here we get to it. Here comes the gospel, even in the Proverbs chapter three. Let not steadfast love. This steadfast love in Hebrew is hesed. This is the uh, only God-like love, unstoppable, never-ending, filled with mercy and grace, Christ-like love for you. This is this is Hesed love. This isn't romantic love you feel for somebody else. But this is Hesed love. The steadfast, never-ending, never-stopping, always-coming, God-like love for you and faithfulness. Never let that love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, Deuteronomy 6. And then notice what it says here. We're going to get into this last little phrase which is where we're really going to start hearing gospel. Write them on the tablet. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We're told to have steadfast love written on the tablet of our heart. Now, that little phrasing, if you've spent any time in the Old Testament, I don't know if any of your Old Testament scholars. Not a big deal if you are. I'm going to show you in just a second. But in the Old Testament, we have the old covenant. In Genesis 12, when God made the covenant with Abraham, and even in Exodus chapter 19, God makes a covenant with his people. I mean, we... we when we're studying through this at one particular point in Exodus chapter 19, he looks at him and he says, if you, this is the the Old Testament, this is the Old Testament people Israelites. This is not the New Covenant, this is the Old Covenant. And he looks at him and he says, if you'll just obey my voice and keep my covenant, people of Israel, people that come from Abraham, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth, for the whole earth is mine. That's what he tells them. Just let me let me be your king and be my people. But what do they do? They don't want it. They don't want him to be their king, their Yahweh, their Lord, their God. They say, we don't want this. Sometimes they do. He'll send a prophet. Sometimes they repent. But ultimately, as you go through the Old Testament, the people of Israel sin against the Lord, rebel against the Lord, push away against this amazing promise of God. Like, I will just... If you just be my people, I will be your God. You'll be my treasured possession. And they say, ultimately, no. And you and I would do the exact same thing. And so in the Old Testament, God knew that they weren't gonna keep that old covenant. And so even in the Old Testament, he had to start telling them about the new covenant. So he could have in that moment say, just be my people. And they could have said, we don't wanna be your people. He could have said, That was your chance. And that's it. But instead, in the Old Testament, he says, even though you're so hard-hearted and you won't keep that covenant, I'm gonna change it then. I'm even gonna make a new covenant. You don't want the old covenant to just let me be your God and keep my laws. So I'm gonna do something even more radical. I'm not gonna have laws written on stones for you to keep. Instead, I'm gonna take that law and I'm gonna put it in your heart And now you're going to be able to keep this new covenant. You rebelled against me. God could have said, You rebelled against the covenant, it's all over. But instead, out of sheer mercy and grace, He creates an entirely new covenant. He did not have to do it. And the language by which He uses when He does this new covenant, as we see in Proverbs 3 write them on the tablet of your heart, is in Jeremiah. So in the Old Testament, We hear the New Covenant all the time in the New Testament, but there are times in the Old Testament where we don't just hear the Old Covenant, but in the Old Testament we actually hear the New Covenant. And Jeremiah 31, he writes about this New Covenant and he uses the exact same language as we're reading in Proverbs 3. And Jeremiah 31, 31, that's really easy to memorize, 31, 31. And 33 is where you get to it, but I'm going to read 31. This is what he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I made that one back in Exodus 19, and you just rebelled against it. All you had to let me do was be your people. You would have been my treasured possession, but you didn't want to. And it says, Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the hand, to bring them out of the hand of Egypt, and they broke that covenant. Though I was their husband, they broke that covenant. They were my wife and they cheated on me and went out against me. And I could have let it go, but I'm still going to come. I'm still going to make a new covenant. And here's the new covenant. But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. And because we're Gentiles and grafted into that tree, we're part of this new house of Israel covenant. And this he says, this is the new covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, oh, this is beautiful. I will put my law within them. Think about that for a second. Here are the external laws. Because right after that covenant 19 is Exodus 20, the giving of all the law. Here it is. Keep the covenant. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'll be your treasure possession. They can't keep it. They can't keep it. And he's going to say this. You can't keep the law that I wrote on stone. So instead, I'm going to do something supernatural. I'm going to take that law And literally put it in your heart. And give you the ability by the power of my spirit with that. And now you can keep it. That's that's an amazing word of what he's saying. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each other, each One teach his neighbor and each to his brother say, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord. And here's the gospel, here it is. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's amazing. All of us who are engrafted into Israel, the Lord is saying, I will remember your sin no more. And based on that, Being set free from sin, now you are set free to live for Christ. I will remember your sin no more. So if we pull back over here to Proverbs 3, there's more gospel language. So we see this, I'll write it on the tablet of their heart. The steadfast love and faithfulness is going to be written on the tablet of our heart. And all that encompasses of that is that confession of Christ, the new covenant, believing in Christ, asking forgiveness of your sin means set free from sin remembering sin no more. And now we have the power of God, the Spirit put in us, and we have, because of that, the ability to actually live out what He's asking. I'll read you 2 Corinthians. Paul says it this way, that idea of having it written on our hearts, this is how Paul says it. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. The old covenant, written with ink on stone. The new covenant, written with the Spirit on the human heart. You have the ability now, in Christ, to live the way that you've been declared. You've been declared to have no sin. You've been declared, I will remember your your sin no more and I will wash away all your iniquity. In Philippians 3.16 says, only let us hold true true to what we've attained. Now, in Christ, we have the ability to live up to that because the Spirit has been written on the tablet of our hearts. That's unbelievable. That's such good news. And then how, how does Proverbs 3 describe it? So, or therefore, when steadfast love has been written on the tablet of my heart and I have the ability by the power of the Spirit to live this, so you will find favor. That, that word favor is also grace. You'll find grace, grace after grace after grace and good success or intelligence or repute, if you will, but intelligence, good success in the sight of God, in God's sight, whenever we have the steadfast love written on our heart, now we have favor and grace In God's sight. This is all gospel in Proverbs 3. And how is this ascertained? How is this grasped? How does this happen? Verse 5 Trust, same word for faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You, You won't make this happen. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And he will make straight or he will direct your paths. So because of the gospel that we have steadfast love now written on our hearts and so continually in the sight of God and man, Elohim and our, our Lord, our Savior, we find favor and good success and intelligence. We find wisdom. We find grace because of the gospel. We have the ability to pursue these things. The, the way that it happens is that we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Because of trust, we now have forgiveness of sin and favor and grace in God's eyes and Literally the steadfast love of God, the hesed of God, residing in us. This is amazing good news gospel. Thousands of years before Jesus ever came. And we understand it so much better now. And this is where I love, verse 6. Just stop and think about what verse 6 is saying. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This acknowledgement isn't like, oh, there you are. Good to see you. Glad you're here. We're not talking about that kind of acknowledgement. This is a, uh, a knowledge of you're here and worthy of my worship. All right, so let's take it again. In all your ways, give him your worship. Based on all these good gospel verses, our right response is, in all your ways, Acknowledge Him. Give Him the glory and worship that He's due. Because the steadfast love has been written on our hearts and we have found favor and grace. And we trust Him with all our heart. We get to gladly in all of our ways give Him all of our worship. Because He's due. And this next moment is the perfect time to do it. We're going to stand and worship and sing to him. And then we're going to go for this week and live as great gospel carriers. And in all our ways, acknowledge him before men. Acknowledge him before our spouse. Acknowledge him before our brothers. Acknowledge him before our sisters. Acknowledge him before our roommates. Tell of us what he's done. So we have time here to respond. I'm just inviting you in. In all your ways, including this moment, acknowledge, give him the glory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for anyone here now that hasn't trusted in you, who hasn't believed the gospel, who hasn't had the spirit come right on their hearts, who hasn't been forgiven of all their sin, who hasn't had all of their sin forever forgiven and their iniquity remembered no more, that they would confess Christ right now and become a Christian. And for us that have, that we would take up this task of pursuing wisdom because of all of its great benefits that you show us. But ultimately, as verse 26 says, The Lord is our confidence. The Lord God is our confidence and his great good gospel is our confidence. And so because of that, we come now and we give you all the glory in all of our ways, including this moment from now on. We want to acknowledge, we want to give you all the glory. So be with us now as we acknowledge you with our lips and our worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk, I'd love to have a chat with you. You can stand and let's sing together.